Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. I was in a conversation with the company president the other day, and I wonder if you have these same feelings. He expressed to me that he feels like he's the only one committed inside his organization to moving forward. He feels like he's carrying his company on his back. He feels like he's out front dragging everybody off into their future. And I was just curious, is he the only one who feels that way, or do you sometimes get those feelings? So what is it about gaining commitment that seems to be so difficult, yet everything that we want? You ever been inside those companies or those organizations where you can just see everybody's happy with what they're doing? They're enthusiastic about supporting and working with you, and they're doing more than just their job. They're actually there to service and help you. You know, I get that experience whenever I go inside an Apple retail store. Everybody there is having fun. Everybody's there to help. And they have great product knowledge, but more important than that, they're able to explain to you how those instruments and tools and computers and devices really help you in what you're trying to get done. And I think they have the patience of Job sometimes because it's, you know, they're very technical at what they do. And sometimes us as consumers going in don't really have their expertise, but they never really have an air of arrogance about it when you work with them. Imagine having that experience with your customers, with your clients, not just with you, but everybody inside your organization. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Our guest is John Jantz. We're talking about his book, The Commitment Engine, Making Work Worth It. You may know John from his best-selling book, Duct Tape Marketing. So stay tuned. I think you'll find what John has to say very enlightening. Before we get to that, a couple of resources to remind you of. You can go out to our biztalkradioshow.com website, that's right, B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com website. And you can download podcasts of all of our previous programs. Those are also available through iTunes. Other resources out on that website, you'll find key insights, one of them being Sales Quick Coach, two-minute timeouts to improve your performance. If you're in sales, you want to look that up. Even more importantly, you want to subscribe to it. We take a real-world sales situation every week and give you insights on how to deal with those situations. Our other blog is Hire the Best, insights on hiring A players in today's marketplace. So if you're a hiring manager and you're looking for key insights and what it takes to find great talent, you'll find some information on the blog, Hire the Best. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040, and also you'll find us out on Facebook. We're talking to John Jantz about his book, The Commitment Engine, Making Work Worth It. That's really about gaining commitment from employees inside your organization currently. I want to talk for just a second about recruiting, how to gain commitment from a candidate before you make them a formal job offer. Too often I see companies make a mistake of issuing a job offer and then having the candidate think about it, or even worse, taking that offer and shopping it to their current employer, trying to get a better deal from them, or shopping it to someone else who's trying to hire them. And now you're stuck in this nowhere's land trying to get a decision and force commitment. And I contend you can get that commitment before you make a formal job offer. To do that, 
There are three specific questions you can ask your candidate prior to making them a job offer. And here are those three questions. Are you in position to accept the job offer you're about to receive? Who else do you need to run this offer by? And when you have done that in the past, how have they responded? Because everybody tells you they need to run it by their significant other or their spouse, whatever it is. But this is not the first time they've had a job offer. So I'm assuming they've talked about the interviews they've been on. I'm assuming they've talked about the opportunity. So I just want to know, you know, what have they talked about? Why are these three questions so important? Well, one of the hardest questions to answer in your life is, what do I want to do? We fear answering that question because we fear committing to something that could be a mistake. It's also human nature to be curious to see what you have to offer. That's why you hear people respond to your recruiting calls with, well, I'm always open to hear what you have to offer, or I'd be crazy not to see what else is out there for me. One way you can stop the tire kickers and people just shopping around is actually have a process you put them through and tell them what that process is. You see, people won't go through a process if they're not truly committed to making a job change. And making that decision to make a change is the first decision they have to make even before you get to them. So have people made that decision that they're ready for a career move? You can read more about this on my blog post, How to Gain Commitment Before You Make a Formal Job Offer, out on our website, biztalkradioshow.com, and under the blog, Hire the Best. Let's get to our guest, John Jantz. On our program tonight is John Jantz. is a marketing consultant, speaker, and best-selling author of Duct Tape Marketing and Referral Engine. He is the creator of Duct Tape Marketing System and Duct Tape Marketing Consultants Network that trains and licenses small business marketing consultants around the world. His blog was chosen as Four Magazine's favorite for marketing and small business, and his podcast, a top 10 marketing show on iTunes, was called a must-listen to by Fast Company Magazine. His practical take on small business is often cited as a resource in publications such as the Wall Street Journal and New York Times. Today, we're talking to John about his book, The Commitment Engine, Making Work Worth It. John, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. John, you're known as a marketing consultant. Your best-selling book, Duct Take Marketing, is a must-read. And the referral engine talks about... John, you're known as a marketing consultant. Your book, Duct Tape Marketing, and the referral engine are must-reads in terms of growing a business. That's more of external, you know, promoting the business. Now you turn around and write a book called The Commitment Engine, Making Work Worth It, which is more of an internal look at a business. Why does a marketing person write a book about work? Well, it's actually been a bit of an evolution. So the first book, as you said, straight up, you know, marketing system, it was my attempt to kind of document the, the process for small business. And and then my second book was actually called The Referral Engine. And again, you know, that area of marketing, if you will, is certainly a significant way for a lot of organizations uh, to grow their businesses. And so I wanted to cover that in, in that book. And, and frankly, in doing that, one of the things I did was I talked to a lot of organizations that, that had raving fans and, and that, that, you know, willingly referred and introduced and talked about the company, their companies and their products and services. And so I, I kind of, it was kind of almost an evolution from there to say, okay, you know, what do these companies do internally to, to really kind of create that kind of commitment? It's, it's certainly well beyond just having a 
a nice marketing engine and a, and you know a systematic approach to referrals. And so that was really what I was set out to do was was to try to figure out what these companies do to create that kind of commitment in their their customers and and their their fans. And you know, frankly, I thought I was really just going to write about something that they do internally. And what what I quickly found is that these companies that had raving fans also had raving employees, people that they loved what they did. They were an extension, if you will, of, of the thinking of the owner of the business and then backed up kind of to the owner of the business and found that, that many of these businesses that, that had these these high commitment communities and raving fans also had a, a real single minded there was a, there was extreme clarity about why they did what they did and 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 I think that that you know was was probably the biggest i, I wouldn't say surprise it, it just wasn't what I necessarily went looking for, but there was this definite theme that the owner of the business had extreme clarity about why they do what they did and what their kind of higher purpose was they attracted a staff that that really believed in that same thing, and then the community the the raving fans of community were almost a natural outcome of that. And so that's that's really the thread that runs through that entire book. John, you talk about the clarity that these small to medium-sized businesses need, and I bet you find that level of clarity is not necessarily high in most companies. Yeah, I, I think what happens a lot of times, people go into business because they, they, they think they want that they have an idea, they worked at an accounting firm, so they started an accounting firm. So, so they really go into that business. Really, I think the initial thought is we're going to get customers, we're going to deliver this product or service to customers, and in a lot of cases, the way we see everybody else doing it. And I think that uh, what I'm trying to suggest in this book, and it's actually really, you know, you, it's not like you just go lock yourself in a room one day and come out with your, you know, crystal clear picture of what your, you know, higher purpose is for your business. It, it kind of evolves as you grow your business or attempt to grow your business. And I cite them, and I'll share uh, with you if you like some examples of, you know, companies where, where purpose and, and clarity actually kind of finds them. And, and I think that that's probably the more typical path that people really get jazzed about hey, you know what, here's what we're really doing in, in this business or with this business. And, and you know, that's gonna, we're going to make that our single-minded uh, purpose. And I, and I think that that's, I intentionally use the word clarity. One of the things I'm really suggesting is that you really do have to simplify this. You have to really kind of find that one thing that you, that you want people to understand, you know, why you do what you do. And, and, and actually that then drives so many business decisions. It certainly drives your marketing message, or should, but it, it drives kind of everything you do, how you treat your customers, certainly how you treat your people. And, and I think that, that that's the part that people really have to sort of find. You're listening to BizTalk. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. Our guest is John Chance. We're talking about his book, The Commitment Engine, Making Work Worth It. John, you talk about the purpose of the business and getting clarity around that. Give us some examples of things that you have seen that have actually worked quite effectively. One of my favorites is a janitorial services company in Cincinnati, Ohio, and the name of the company is Jancoa. And they were, you know, hey, we started a janitorial business. We keep growing. We're doing good work. We got Now we got 50 employees. And they found that really they – you know, they were having trouble getting and keeping. They, they were selling more work than they could actually deliver because they couldn't get and keep good people. So they decided one day that they were going to solve this people problem. So they went to the library and checked out every book they could on 
retention and HR and just, you know, they really wanted to crack this nut because they thought that's what's holding them back. And one of the nuggets they stumbled on was that you should make it easy for your employees to get to work or, or remove, you know, as many hurdles as possible. And so they went out and they bought a company shuttle and they were going to use that shuttle to go around and pick up their employees, take them home, take them from job to job. Uh, what, what happened was it, it was really one of the first times that they'd actually gone out into the neighborhoods where their employees had lived and, and really seen a lot of the loss of hope and, and poverty that was occurring. And, and what they really realized is they didn't have a people problem as much as they, they had a dreaming problem. I mean, the, you know, people don't necessarily grow up and dream about going into the janitorial services business. But what they found was was the people that were really, you know, being attracted to this level of work had really lost all their dreams. And so they had no real reason to commit to this business or, or any business. It was just a job, and it, they, they would take it or leave it. So they decided, here's what we're going to do for our HR move. Instead of creating you know, some sort of system to recruit and train and, and retain people, we're just going to make – what we're going to do is we're going to make – we're going to try to restore dreaming in the lives of our employees. And so they created a whole level of management. They call them dream managers, and their primary job is to help every every employee and identify and then go after achieving some dream. So, you know, it might be playing a musical instrument. It might be getting a GED, sending your kid to college. I mean, it really it didn't matter how big or how small. They just that every single person had to identify and then go after a dream and work with this dream manager. And they they found that it just changed everything. It, it wants people who really had kind of lost all hope or all ability to kind of chase a dream, you know, started getting this at their place of work, it it just changed everything about their relationship with their job. And so, you know, you fast forward to today, they have 300 employees doing, you know, $15, $16 million in business, virtually no employee turnover. And and one of the lines that uh, Tony and Mary Miller, the owners, one of the lines that the Millers use all the time is that the thing they're the proudest of is that, that now Jancoa is the place that you go to work if you want to get out of the janitorial services business because they, they, they build their people up so much that, that, in fact, a few of them, you know, actually, you know, gain the confidence to, to go on to maybe something that is more of a career path. So they've decided that their their clarity or their single-minded purpose is to make dreams come true, and, and they've done that or they disguise that, I guess, as a janitorial services company. And so – you know, they when they consider things, when they consider new programs, when they talk about and communicate and, and even go out and pitch new business, you know, they'll talk about that idea of, of making dreams come true. And it has just dramatically changed their business. And, and they will tell you that it, it is they are serving their higher purpose, you know, found them. And, and really it, it was in just trying to really get this sense of how do we grow this business. Well, what a great story, because what they're really selling then is that hope. You come to work for exactly. us, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 obviously, from a you know, you look around the rest of the typical what you might think of stereotypical in that business. You know, there's there's very few other people that are that that are leading with that you know sense of purpose. And so, it certainly attracts both customers and and people to come to work for. So let's pretend that we have this clarity and our purpose down, and let's pretend it's meaningful. And it's not as cliche as you know, turn a profit or get customers or 
you know, something would really uh, would attract people. Well, but, let, let me let me interject one thing. I know sure. where you're heading with this, but I also want to make people aware that it, this doesn't have to be some sort of serving social purpose or spiritual purpose or something. I mean, it really the idea really around this is just being clear about what it is, you know, why you do what you do. There, there's another company that that I profile in the book called Thirty Seven Signals. Probably a lot of your listeners have seen their software. Basecamp is probably their biggest title of project management software, and their whole higher purpose is about creating tools that 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 are are so simple yet powerful that they that they completely go against everything else that's out there in in the software industry. So they they will tell you over and over again that they spend more time figuring out what to leave out of their software than what to put in. And that even though their software does very complex things, their entire goal is that people view it as as completely intuitive, completely simple, and and easy to use. The first you know first time you open it up, you're going to know what to do next. Now, what's so cool about that is is you go in their office, and it's the same way. It's very simple, almost stark in a way. Their pricing, instead of being forty nine ninety nine, is fifty dollars. You know, for a, for a product, the way they hire people, the the way their office is arranged, and how people work. You know, all of it is around being. You know, the, their their sense of clarity is about simplicity in in everything they do. So uh, again, I, I I don't want to belabor this point, but I wanted to really make sure that the distinction was there. That you know, when I talk about higher purpose, it doesn't have to be something that 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 we associate, say, with with, with good. I, I suppose it can't be evil if you're going to last very long, but it doesn't just have to be, you know, it, it can be something that is that's not necessarily associated with purpose even. I think your point of the, the clarity of purpose, and exactly. you, go, you go back to Bill Gates' original clarity of purpose, which was a computer in every desk, in every home and every desk. That's right. You know, and that drove that company for, you know, until they got to the, almost that point, right? That's right. <laughs> they, they might be a little confused in what their uh, <laughs> their purpose is today, but you know, back in the day, that drove them a long way. You can look at example after examples uh, of what that clarity and purpose does for people. You know, I'll never forget. You know, I'm old enough to remember Gulf War One, right? It happened back in '91, yeah. and people were surprised when they didn't take Saddam Hussein out of power. And I'll never forget when either Schwarzkopf made the comment or uh, President Bush at the time, Bush 41 at the time, said, no, our purpose was to go free Kuwait. This is our yeah. mission. This is what we, we set out and attempted to do. That's what we got done. The mission done. Let's move on. So having that clarity gives you a lot of direction. And also, I venture to say, with the, the work that you do, John, with helping companies with their, mm-hmm. their marketing stuff, that you run into a lot who don't have this clarity. So what stops us from having this clarity? Well, I think part of it is just the noise, you know, the swirl of activities, the, you know, the never taking the time to sit there and even think that that's, you know, a worthwhile goal because the phone's ringing or, you know, you're, you're just busy. And I think that, you know, you'll, you'll see in the book, you know, particularly in that first section you talk about, you know, I, I spend a great deal of time talking about, you know, the, the intentional approach to really, you know, finding this sense of clarity because, you know, what I've found in a lot of the companies that I feature in the book and that I interviewed and, and entrepreneurs that I talked to is that, you know, a lot of the, the busy and, you know, being, you know, just crazy, you know, no time to, to stop and think and analyze anything comes about from, from not having this clarity because that's one of the things it really does for you is it, it kind of acts as a, as a real filter for 
what you should be chasing. I mean, there there are more opportunities and bright, shiny objects and new, you know, new things than you could ever get to. And I think that having this this very clear sense of of direction and purpose, and then having just a handful of priorities around, you know, what you will do and won't do, you know, for the year to support that purpose, is really how you kind of you know get rid of some of the all of the the you know the extra things that are chasing you that you maybe want to consider. How much easier is your job when you pick up a client who has that clarity? Well, it, it's, you know, it's amazing. The, and, and a lot of times it's particularly because, you know, I'm out there talking about this stuff all the time. So when, when my message resonates with somebody who either says, A, I need to get that, so, you know, help me get that, or B, you know, that message resonates with me. This is, you know, these are our core beliefs. This is what we, you know, what we stand for. You know, help us communicate that. Obviously that, you know, that that's hard, that's much that's a much easier task than when somebody says, hey, I need some marketing, but I'm not going to bother with any of that purpose stuff because, you know, that's just a bunch of hoo-hoo. <laughs> the touchy-feely stuff, right? Exactly. Our guest is John Jans. We're talking about his book, The Commitment Engine, Making Work Worth It. For other resources on growing yourself and your company, visit our website at biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. That's where the experts come to share their insights with you. So, John, we're talking about this clarity of purpose, and thanks for explaining that to us. So let's pretend that you have this clarity of purpose. What are some of the other elements needed that go along with this clarity that gaining commitment from everyone can actually be achieved? Once you have it, so, for example, you know, I use either 37 Signals or Jancoa. You know, it's it's obviously good to have, but now you've got to bring it to life too. It has to it has to really become part of your culture. And and a lot of the ways that the companies that have been successful doing that is they think in terms of you know shared beliefs in the organization. You know, here are the things we stand for, and and not just a plaque on the wall, but you know, here's here's how we're going to bring those beliefs to action. They typically plan together. They typically have a great deal of transparency so that everybody knows everybody's capable of thinking like an owner. In fact, many of the companies that, that I actually talked to that, that had, you know, what I became to call commitment engines, you know, even had real ownership, uh, shared ownership. But at the very least, enough, uh, you know, uh, autonomy and transparency and, and, you know, everybody knew what was going on. Everybody knew what contributed to profits. Uh, everybody, you know, knew in many cases the, the finances of the business. And, and it really allowed them to to all think in terms of and really share this, this you know, this, this higher purpose. And I think that that's, you know, one of the mistakes sometimes people make, and I, and I talk to them all the time. I talk to business owners that are very driven by a sense of why they do what they do, but they don't they don't bring that to the organization. In fact, in some cases, you know, I think people, particularly if, in the case of say this is Jancoa, you know, imagine when they found out that or, or decided to start talking about, you know, their their higher purpose to make it was to make people's dreams come true. You gotta, I've got to imagine at some level in their company, you know, at that point they had about 100 employees, there were some people that thought, well, that was just a bunch of hogwash. You know, we just we need to go out and hire some people and make them work harder. Uh, you know, and, and I think that, you know, in some cases, you know, there are people that, that don't want to bring that fully alive. And, and obviously it's got to be something that you truly believe in. You can't. You can't manufacture what 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 our purpose should be, um, but but the real key is you've got to find lots of ways to just infuse the entire culture with it. I'll tell you what I dog-eared in in your book for me, and it's pages ninety four and ninety five. 
because this really stood out to me, and I imagine will the audience. And you're talking about, in the chapter, is a culture of shared commitment. Yeah. And you say about get the right people, tell the story over and over, protect the standards, make meetings about action, teach and share the metrics, invest in the best tools. John, dead nuts on. <laughs> well, well, thank you. And, I, and again, that, that came from just lots of interviews. With, it came from two things. My own experience of owning a, a business for uh, over 25 years now, but, but also just in talking to a lot, uh, a lot of organizations and just hearing some of those repeated themes and talking to lots of employees. You know, I had some really great interviews where I would talk to groups of employees at companies and they would just share with me, here's why we love this company. You know, here's why we wanted to work for this company. And I think when you start hearing that uh, level of enthusiasm from employees at an organization, I, I, I think you have to pay attention to you know what that organization's doing and, and doing right. And I'll go back to you know those six things, but you know I think you can put those on a three by five card or each one of those on a three by five card, shuffle them through, you know one a week, one a month, whatever. You could spend the rest of your career trying to get those six things right. Because when you get it to a different le- one level, I imagine that you have to go to the next level and keep growing just in those six areas. But to your point, you can't get the right people if you don't have clarity of purpose because then those people aren't in line with your purpose. Yeah, and I, and I think the companies that really do a great job, I mean, that becomes how they attract the people that, that share those same beliefs, you know, because they're wearing them on their sleeves. They're, you know, they're putting them out in their communication. They, they, they're living you know, these core beliefs as opposed to just, you know, spouting them off or putting them in, in the company uh, report. And I think that yeah, there was a great company in Chicago, Illinois, called Threadless. And, um, again, I'm sure some of your listeners heard of them because they have millions of customers now uh, around the world. They just they essentially print T-shirts. Now, they have a really interesting model where community members actually submit artwork, and uh, then community members vote on the artwork. And whatever gets voted on and, and selected as the designs of the week, then they, that's those are the shirts they produce. So they, in a, in a lot of ways, it's a great model because they know they've got a shirt winner. In fact, they've never had a shirt you know, not sell well because the community already voted on it, and they, they have a pretty good idea <laughs> that it's going to be a popular design. But one of the things that, that, w- that really struck me when I went and visited this company is the amount of employees that, that actually were first became familiar with this, this organization by being a member of the community. They, they were either an artist or a graphic designer or had submitted art or voted on art bought product from them, and they, and they wanted to go to work for this company. And I think that that, you know, when you, when you see people out there in the community that, that want to go to work for a company, you know, after having, you know, interactions with them, after, after having experienced what they believe in and who they are and what they stand for, I think that's a pretty strong testament to, to doing, doing things right. So, John, when you hear small business owners or even, you know, managers of departments say to you, you know, I'm tired of doing the thinking for my team. I'm tired of carrying this company on my back. You know, I'm tired of me being the only person out there front and just dragging, you know, the rest of this organization along. I imagine you hear some of that. Sure. And is that, so is that the, what they're experiencing is that lack of commitment? I think it is. And again, I, you know, the, the thing about culture it's one of those words that gets you know bantered around a lot in business circles. But think about culture, particularly in a small business. First off, every business has a culture because particularly in a small business, it is quite often it, it's it's really just who the owner is being is <laughs> is the culture. You know, when you get to a much larger organization, obviously culture is driven by you know 
many, many, many forms of interactions uh, with the, with the company. But you know, for many, many times, when if a if a company owner will tell me that, say, well, you know, the first place you have to look is is you know to yourself. And, and I'm not saying it's an easy job, but you know, you you really can't you know you can't create a a positive, healthy, vibrant culture without, you know, yourself being, you know, vibrant, healthy, positive. And I think that, that that's the place that, uh, that that I think really trips people up quite quite often. And, and, you know, they don't realize the, you know, the investment that they have to make in, in getting there, in telling the story, in, you know, in, in finding this higher purpose so that you can communicate this higher purpose. And then obviously attracting people, but then letting them be a part of the story. I think that's, you know, a lot of companies have a really good story that they tell out there in the public, but then you go back inside the company and, and they're not living that story. And I think that that's a very, very key distinction. One of the themes I picked up on in the first half of your book, was, which is getting that commitment inside the organization, two words stand out, collaboration and sharing of information. Yeah. Collaboration sharing of information, and you kind of beat that drum over and over in some form or another. Is that two of the keys in getting this commitment? Yeah, I think it really is. I mean, you think about, I don't know if you've had any, any situations in your work life, you know, but imagine how many people are in organizations and they, they don't have any idea, you know, what their role is. I mean, they know what their job is, but they don't have any role, have any idea what their contribution is or nobody ever asked them what they think about, you know, how to do something. And I think one of the things I found a striking number of the companies that I interviewed and worked with had very collaborative planning processes. It would be an annual planning process. It might be a quarterly, like, by team process, but everybody got a say. I mean, they all participated in choosing, you know, here are going to be our priorities, you know, for the quarter. Now, obviously, you've got, you know, you've got people that plan projects, and you've got people that do projects, and you've got people that manage projects. I mean, so so people still have roles. But it's amazing how a couple things, how much buy-in that, that that you get when everybody understands, you know, how they're being measured. That you know that they they got to collaborate on, you know, really what was the positive direction for the organization to take. You know, there was one company that that I profiled there in Fairfield, Iowa, called Sky Factory. They go as far as having teams. Uh, functional teams where the person who runs or manages the team rotates. So the, the, really nobody was in charge of all time. In fact, they were all in charge. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you start seeing that level of collaboration. And what, what they found was they, they just continued to improve dramatically because they weren't, they weren't just left to one person's idea of how to, how to, you know, run the team, they were constantly exposed to different new and innovative ideas that each team member was able to bring. And they just found that, you know, I've told this story to other people and they're thinking, gosh, you know, isn't that create chaos? And they found it created just the opposite. They, they, it fostered teamwork because, you know, if you weren't the manager this month, <laughs> you knew you were going to be next month. And so, you know, everybody really, really was more motivated as a teammate. But I think the, the biggest thing that they found was all on the amount of innovation that they were able to bring to, to every function in, in the company because of rotating people through and allowing them to, to really effectively lead. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. Our guest is John Jantz. We're talking about his book, The Commitment Engine, Making Work Worth It. We continue our conversation with John on how to gain commitment from everyone inside your company. One of the other aspects I found interesting in your book, you talk about teaching 
as a form of getting commitment. Now, I've heard of onboarding. I've heard of orientation. I've heard of training. But I've really never heard anybody talk about teaching. And so you must differentiate that at some level. Yeah, I, I, I really, I really do. You know, I think you could always say there are elements of all of those things you mentioned that involve, you know, somebody teaching something. But I think that it, in the companies that I really found had a lot of commitment, it was really in their DNA. I mean, everybody in the organization looked at what they did as as educating. Salespeople uh, were not, you know, selling; they were they were educating. They they were teaching in a way. And I think that they, internally they found that they fostered environments where you know everybody in the organization would would teach everyone maybe what they did, what you know would help them you know, figure out how to do something better. They had a sense of, of really continuing to educate their customers, you know, even, you know, before, during, and after the sale. And so in in some ways it was just a kind of a, a way to look at an interaction that, that that was a great deal of their responsibility was to kind of continue this process of helping everyone be lifelong learners. So how do you take what you've talked about internally organization and manifest it out in the marketplace where you get committed customers or committed clients? Well, in, in, in many cases, you know, that comes from this, what we've been spending a lot of time talking about here, this, this culture. You know, I, I make a statement in, the, in this book, and I've, you know, I've made it many, many times in front of large groups of, of business owners and marketers that, that you know, your employees are quite likely treating your customers exactly like you're treating them. And so... You know that, and that you know that has a positive aspect to it too. Of course, uh, you know if people feel appreciated and and you know empowered and and all the things that I think a really healthy culture can do in many in many ways, they're going to take that out to the market. Now, obviously, you know there are things that you need to do from a a process and a product and a service standpoint that that's going to uh, and a marketing message standpoint that are going to attract or help you build a community. But it really does start with having those enthusiastic people that work for you. John, the one piece of advice you're giving business leaders today is what? You know, one of the things that uh, I would say that probably is the thread that runs through this book, and so consequently I, I'm, I'm using it as a certainly as my kind of overriding advice, and, and I am advising companies and managers, you know, because you, you can take this to the career, you know, all the way down to somebody's career advice, is that you've, you've got to find and connect with a, a really strong, you know, why you do what you do. You know, what drives you? What makes you get up in the morning? What makes you want to build this business? And use that as really kind of your primary way to differentiate your business from everybody else who says they do what they do. John, if I wanted to learn more about you and what you do, or where to go find that information? The books can be found anywhere, pretty much anywhere you buy books. Obviously, the online stores as well as independent local bookstores. But probably as good a starting place as any is just ducttapemarketing.com, and that's D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E marketing.com. I have a free newsletter that I put out weekly. I write blog posts almost every day. Have a, you mentioned in the intro my podcast, so... We have about six or eight ebooks on different topics that are free to grab. So lots, lots of really hopefully useful content that we've built up over the years. Let's go back to your first book for just a second, Duct Tape Marketing. Were you surprised at how that took off? You know, I think you're always surprised. 
maybe me more than others sometimes with success. But, you know, I had been out in the market talking about really the point of view of creating marketing or viewing marketing as a system and various elements of the system. I mean, I, I didn't sit down and write that book, you know, because I had a great idea. I, I sat down and wrote that book because I'd been working with small business owners for years. And so I had a really good sense that not only what I talked about worked, but it resonated with, with small business owners, the, the concepts. In it. And so, you know, you never know how something's going to be received or, or talked about or found even. But I had a pretty good sense that, that if people picked that book up, that it was going to make sense to them. So duct tape marketing, the referral engine, and now your book, The Commitment Engine, Making Work Worth It. So when you put the three of those together, What's been the biggest epiphany for you after completing that body of work? You know, I I don't know that I've had anything I would define as an epiphany. I I think what I would say is it's just been a really nice evolution, both in my thinking and and my experience and and really, you know, how people have come to kind of view my work. I, I will say that, and I think you probably count yourself among this, you know, I had a fair amount of people that wrote to me and said, wow, this is a really different book. Um, from from your first one, and 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 so to be able to kind of you know start with real nuts and bolts, and then kind of move into a referral engine that that was in a, certainly related to marketing, but 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 got a lot more into you know how to be referable, and then to kind of have this third book that you know some people could read the first section as almost being a self help book. Um, you know, it's been just a really fun evolution for me. I'm, I'm actually working on a fourth book called, it's going to be called, or at least is the working title, Duct Tape Selling. And I'm, I'm really going to kind of share my view that I believe, you know, the, the world of the professional salesperson has changed dramatically over the last few years. And, and I'm going to at least attempt to teach him the, the fact that I think now that marketing or, or doing some of the things that, that were traditionally viewed as marketing is really the new way of selling. Well, that's for a whole other program, John, because I think you're right on the market with that. I've, I've told people today the convergence of marketing and selling has come together. You betcha. Yeah. And I, I told somebody the other day, I said, so I, I'm struggling on this sales call. And I said, well, tell me about it. And then I, after I listened to him, I said, well, because you're making a marketing call. <laughs> you're not at the selling point yet. It's a marketing yeah, yeah. call. Yeah. But when I said that to the person, it's, it like resonated with them. Oh, there, there is yeah. a difference between making a marketing call and making a sales call. But that's for a future program. Yep. But, but I believe I'll look forward to that book because I think you're, you're right on target there. So, John, any last thoughts for our audience before we go tonight? Well, you know, spend some time. I mean, if this idea of purpose really starts, you know, if you start to feel like, hey, I need to investigate that, you know, really, whether you get my book or, or you, you know, you really just, I've probably written about, you know, if you look at my, my website and you'll find some things I've written about that. But really, you know, take that idea to heart. Give yourself some space to, to, to really a, a day even, you know, to, to really kind of contemplate why you're doing what you're doing. I, I had somebody ask me a, uh, or, or tell me about a great question that somebody asked them that really kind of hit them between the eyes of, you know, whether or not they were doing something that was meaningful with their business. And they said, you know, would, would you know, sit and think about, you know, would anybody care if your business didn't exist anymore? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's sort of a harsh question. But, you know, if you think about it and, and you don't really have a bunch of people that work for you or a bunch of people that are customers uh, that you're making a difference in their lives that would miss you if you were gone, then, you know, maybe you ought to re- reevaluate what it is you're doing. I think good advice. John, right. thanks for being on the program. All righty. 
This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.